thankful for that. All right, Luke 22 this morning. And as many of you well know, we are coming close to an end of our study on Sunday mornings as we're considering the miracles of Christ. We have this one and one more, all right? So we're quickly coming to an end. And uh, if you're happy about that, please don't tell me, okay? But uh, we've got just this one and one more, and we'll be finished with this study. But uh, as we come to this, this miracle here in Luke 22, I want to again remind you of the main purpose, at least one of the main purposes Behind the miracles we find in the gospel records in your Bible. Be reminded they're not here just for some kind of show like Herod wanted to see in Luke 23. They're not here just to show the following that followed Jesus, though many did follow Christ because of the things he did for them. It's not just to show his mighty power, though each time you see the miracle in Scripture, you are reminded of the great things God can do. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. But it's not there for that purpose, main purpose. It's not even there just to show how Jesus helped people, but though we know Jesus helped thousands, but that's not the primary purpose behind the miracles we find in the gospel records. Rather, here's what I believe the main purpose, at least one of them, that we find behind the gospel records as it records for us the miracles of Christ, I believe. These miracles prove and show who Jesus really is. That He is the Son of God, that He is the Messiah, the Christ. That He is God come in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. Even that great religious teacher even testified to that fact. Nicodemus, when he came to Jesus by night, he said, No man can do these things that God be with him. It proves this fact that this is God come in the flesh, that Jesus is the Almighty. Revelation 1, verse number 8. Here's what John said about these miracles in John chapter 20, verse 20, uh, 30 through 31. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that. Here's why. That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. So this is why we have these miracles recorded for us. Did He do many more? Absolutely. He did so many miracles that if they were recorded for us, all the books in all the world couldn't hold everything He had done. But these were recorded for us, why? For this very fact, to show that He is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ. And by seeing this fact and understanding this truth, it should cause you and I to come to Him as our Savior, believe on His name and have life through Him. So allow these miracles, one more time, allow these miracles to draw you and bring you to Jesus Christ. All right, Luke chapter 22 and we're going to be in verses 47 through 53 here in just a moment. And as we come here, please know this miracle is the last miracle that Jesus performs right before his crucifixion. And if you want to, uh, if you have a habit of marking your Bible, you can put beside there those verses in Luke 22, verse 47 through 53. You can mark these references. Uh, you find this miracle as well in Matthew 26, verse 47 through 56. Mark 14, verse 43 through 52, and John 18, verses 1 through 11. But primarily today, we'll be in Luke chapter 22, verse 47 through 53, because it is only here in this, in this context and in this record, in Luke 22, that you'll find the actual healing of the ear of Malchus. The rest of those uh, texts and the rest, rest of those references show just how his ear was cut off. But here Luke, the good doctor, shows how Jesus healed Healed Malchus. Now, as we come to this text, but before we read it, keep in mind that Jesus has made his way to Jerusalem 
And on this way to Jerusalem, he has begun to and began to prepare his disciples what's soon to come. How he must suffer many things. How he must endure the harshness of the hands of sinners. How he must lay down his life for the sins of the world. But not just lay down his life and be, be buried, but also raise again the third day. Thank God for that. He was preparing them of, of the things that are about to happen to him. He's preparing them for a time when, at least in a physical sense, he's not going to be with them as he has, as he has been. He's trying to prepare them spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally, and many other allies as he is going to Jerusalem and through the triumphal entry and, of course, to the Last Supper. So as we come to Luke 22, a lot of things has transpired. A lot of teaching from the Lord. A teaching on forgiveness, teaching on being thankful, teaching on His second coming of Christ, teaching on having a consistent prayer life, teaching on true salvation, teaching on true service. So much Jesus is doing as He's preparing and teaching these men. But as He's made His way to Jerusalem, after the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, after the last supper He has had with these men, after the last sermon He has given to them at that last supper, after even the last prayer meeting that he's had with these men, the Lord's hour, as he referred to it many times, my hour, my hour, the Lord's hour has finally come, the time when he'll be betrayed in the hands of sinners, be arrested falsely, uh, have a false mock trial, be beaten, spat upon, mocked and ridiculed, all of that time has come for him to willingly lay down his life upon a cross, shed his blood the cross of Calvary for the forgiveness of sin, that time has come. His hour had come. And right in the middle, between the last amen of that last prayer meeting there in the garden, to the arrest of Jesus, right in the middle of that, it is there that Jesus, we find Him performing yet another gracious miracle. It would be the last miracle He would do before He was crucified. So let's look at it. Luke 22 in verse number, uh, verse number 47, and we'll read down through verse 53. All right, so Luke 22, starting in verse 47. And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the son of, God, the son of man with a kiss? When they which were about him saw what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer you thus far, or meaning, allow it to be so. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said unto the chief priests and captains of the temple and the elders which were come to him, Be ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves. When I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hands against me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Let's pray. Our Father, again, we thank you. For the precious word of God. And I pray in these moments, in these few short moments we have left together this morning, that you'd open our hearts to it. That Lord, you'd open our eyes, may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And Lord, today, would you speak to our hearts in a very personal matter, in a personal way. Help us, I ask. We rest in you, lean upon you to do great and mighty things we know not. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I know we're primarily looking at the miracles that Jesus had done, and more specifically here, looking at the miracle of the healing of Malchus's ear, but I can't overlook the vast importance of the entirety of this text and of this event. So I would like to notice number one, these first two points, we'll go through 
kind of quickly, all right? And uh, don't say amen there, but we'll go through these kind of quickly, the first two points. But the first one I want you to notice is this, all right? In this text, in the context, we see, number one, the betrayal by Judas. The betrayal by Judas. And even saying his name, saying the very name Judas, it puts a scowl on many people's faces, and it puts a, uh, a righteous indignation in many of our hearts and guts, does it not? Anybody like that? That's me. And no doubt, I believe that was the same way with these disciples, especially as they were moved by the Holy Spirit of God to pen the gospel records. Because every time they came to the name Judas, they gave him a nickname. You know what it was? I'll tell you. It's a nickname, the betrayer. Or as Luke called him, the traitor. The betrayer. Matthew chapter 26, verse 25, Matthew says, Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? Mark said it this way, Mark 3, 19, And Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him. They're putting that, that little highlight in there. One of the, to show the difference between one Judas to the other. The one that was the betrayer, which also should betray him, they went into a house. Luke 6, 16, And Judas, the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. In John 12, 4, then saith one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Understand forever, Judas will be known as the betrayer, the traitor. But look how he did it. Look at verse 47. And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? He betrayed the very Son of God with a kiss. Now, it's customary during this day for the disciples to greet their teachers with a loving and respectful kiss. And in many other Middle Eastern countries, even today, still consider this a custom. Now, notice I said many Middle Eastern countries, not in America. If you greet the brethren with a holy kiss, you may be rewarded with a two-piece and a biscuit. All right, two-piece biscuit, okay? Just so you know, all right? That don't happen in the western parts of the world. But it still happens in some Middle Eastern countries. But it was a sign of respect. It was a sign of care. It was a sign of, of love and respect to your teacher out of respect. Now, someone has defined a kiss as the contraction of the mouth due to the enlargement of the heart. But understand, not all kisses are born out of loving heart. For some can be very, very deceitful, just as in the case of this subtle, slimy snake we know as Judas. For his kiss, as he kissed the Son of God to betray him, was the epitome of hypocrisy and treachery. And Judas really is the embodiment of, listen, of this proverb. Listen to this one. Proverbs 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but, listen, the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. In this moment, understand Judas was so full of the devil, he betrayed the Lord into the very hands of the enemy. But he did it with this, a kiss. But this had to be done. This had to be done. This had to take place. Why? So that scripture could be fulfilled. Why? So that our salvation could be complete. So as we're marching through this text, take note, number one, the betrayal of Judas. And then take note number two, the brash response of Peter. Look at verse 49. When they which were about him saw what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. 
Now, as I thought of this moment with the healing of Malchus's ear and thought of this moment, other portion of Scripture, I thought it was only Peter that was willing to go to war. <laughs> I thought it was only Peter that was willing to fight uh, these band of men that have come to arrest Jesus. But as I look at this portion of Scripture, it seems to me that all of them were ready. It seems that all these disciples were ready to fight. Look at verse 49 again. And, and when they which were about him saw what would follow, they, that's plural, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? So I believe the disciples in this moment, they were ready to fight. Except most of the disciples, they actually requested the green light for engagement from their captain. But there's one wasn't waiting for no go-ahead sign. There's one individual that was not waiting, and that was Peter himself. Now, the name Peter is not mentioned here, but you've got to go over to John 18 and verse 10 to find out who that one that smote the servant's ear off was. It was Peter. The Bible says this, John 18, 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, smote the high priest's servant, and cut off his ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Now, when Peter drew his sword to smite off the ear of Malchus, I do not believe he was going just for the ear of Malchus. I think he was going for the jugular. I think he was going to cut off his head. I do. That's what he's going for. He was ready for war. I think Peter's mindset in this moment was this. Let's just kill them all. Let God sort it out. All right. Uh, he had that kind of mindset. He was ready for war. He was ready to fight. He was not going to wait for a thumbs up or a green light from Jesus. Instead, he was going to react in his own flesh, in his own earthly wisdom. And his reaction was a brash one. It was a hasty one. He wasn't going to wait for the green light from, from Jesus. He's going to take matters into his own hands. And understand something, when you take matters into your own hands, we can make a mess of things, can we not? How many know what I'm talking about? All right. When we react in our own flesh, and our own wisdom, we can do great damage. We react in our own emotions without going to God for wisdom. We can make a mess of things. Case in point, a bloody ear that's sitting on the ground in our text. <laughs> we can make a mess of things. Now, was Peter upset? Absolutely, sure he was. I mean, who wouldn't be upset when you see one of your friends, Judas, coming up the, up the road, his band of men, to betray Jesus? Oh, that'll make your blood boil. Sure, he was upset. Was he confused? Oh, sure, he was confused. Was, was he scared? I'm sure he was. And no, no doubt many of us would have been these emotions and, and more. But he responded in his fleshly emotions instead of godly wisdom. And it got messy. And I want you to mark it down. When we respond in our fleshly emotions, it will always produce a harmful result. Always. Mark it down, write it in your Bible somewhere, I'll read it again, all right? When we, listen, when we respond in our fleshly emotions, it will always produce a harmful result. This is why the Lord had to speak some wisdom into Peter in this moment and give him the right perspective. We see this in John chapter 18, verse 11, Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? He's given a perspective. He's trying to show him the real meaning behind of all, all of this. In Matthew 26, verse 52 through 54, this is where we get the great uh, uh, record where Jesus could, could have called down legions of angels. The Bible says, Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into its place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. 
Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father? He shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels. But how then shall the Scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? So Jesus at this moment... After Peter responds in a brash, brash way, in this moment Jesus was saying, Peter, stop it, man. Calm down, stop it. I don't need your help. Peter, listen, I can call down more than 12 legions of angels, which you know what's significant about that? 12 legions of angels, one legion for each disciple and one legion for Jesus, all right? He could have called down 12 legions of angels, which have been more than 72,000 angels to come at his rescue and at his defense. He didn't need Peter's sword. But besides Peter, you got to remember, man, he is the Son of God. This is the Messiah. All the things that Jesus has done, you know what he can do. He doesn't need your help. Peter, stop reacting this way. Put up your sword. Besides, what's about to happen has to take place. Why? Scripture must be fulfilled. It must be complete. Salvation must be complete. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. It has to be. It has to be done. So we can see Peter here reacting in the flesh instead of responding in wisdom. And when we do that, reacting in the flesh instead of wisdom, make a mess of things, mark it down. So we see the betrayal by Judas. We see the brash response of Peter. Then I want to see these last two things, which is really the meat of the message. I want to see the blindness of the multitude. Look at verse 52. Then Jesus said unto the chief priests and captains of the temple and the elders which, came, or which were come to him, be you come out as a, against a thief with swords and staves. When I was daily with you in a temple, you stretched forth no hands against me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Now, as you read these verses and compare Scripture with Scripture to the other portions of Scripture that talk about this moment, you will find a great multitude here. Uh, I think, I think uh, Matthew talks about the multitude. I think Mark does as well. There's a great multitude here. In this multitude, you have different sets of people. You had this set. You had the chief priests. Now, in context, the chief priests would have been some sort of ruling priest in the temple. Uh, they would have been the second command under the high priest at the time, which Caiaphas was the high priest at this time. And some scholars suggest there could have been upwards of 200 priests at one time serving in different duties of, of the temple. But it's worth noting that the chief priests at this time in the first century, they made up the Sanhedrin. Now, what's that? What's the Sanhedrin? Well... The Sanhedrin would have been the Jewish ruling council of the day. It would have been like the Supreme Court of the day. They made up the rules, all right? They made the rules. They, they made the, the, everything about the, uh, the ruling part of the Jewish members of society. The Sanhedrin, the Jewish council. But most of those are made up of the chief priests. But understand something about these chief priests. These individuals that have come to Jesus at this moment... They have heard much from the Lord. They have saw even more. The Bible says this in Mark chapter 11 verse 18. The scribes and chief priests heard it and saw how they might destroy him. For they feared him because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. They have heard the doctrine of Christ. They have heard who he was. And also they saw who he was. And John eleven forty seven. 47, Then gathered the chief priests and Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. Understand the chief priests knew who Jesus was, but they've come anyway to arrest him with this multitude. Then you see not only chief priests, but you see the captains of the temple here as well. Now as I've done a little research on the, the captains of the temple... It would seem these guys are more like a, uh, 
uh, security guard type of sorts, but mainly for, for the temple, all right? Kind of a bodyguard, security guard type individuals. Uh, one commentator said the captains of the temple were the leaders of the temple guards. They were guardians, but not of the soldiery, meaning not of Roman soldiers. These are different individuals. But they supervised and guarded the priests and Levites, especially at night. As overseers, they did their inspections, checking all the temple gates and ensuing, or ensuring rather the guards were at their post. They were in charge of the outer court, seeing that no one would interfere with the temple services. They are also in charge of protecting the temple valuables. So these guys would have been temple security, but they were no Barney Five temple security. These guys knew how to fight. They knew how to defend. They knew, to use, use how, knew how to use weaponry. They were, they were strong individuals. They knew what it meant to protect people and to protect the temple. But understand something. These individuals too knew who Jesus was. They had heard his teaching. They had seen his miracles. Again, in Luke 19, 47, and he taught daily in the temple. Speaking of Jesus, they heard him. They saw him. They knew who he was, but they came anyway. Then you see the elders, which here the elders in Luke chapter, uh, chapter 22, we believe would be the Pharisees. And we say that because this is how uh, John paints them. And John chapter 18, verse number 3, Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests, and here it is, and Pharisees, Cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Now as you read your New Testament, you know what the Pharisees are. You know who they are. You know what they're about. You know they were the Jewish religious leaders of the day. They were the Jewish teachers of the day. They would have taught the Jewish law. But everything they would have done was all for a show. And Jesus had much to say about these Pharisees. Jesus called them blind guides, Matthew 23, 16. He called them fools in Matthew 23, 17. He called them whited sepulchres uh, full of dead men's bones and all of uncleanness in Matthew 23 and verse 27. He called them serpents, Matthew 23, 33. Called them generation of vipers, Matthew 23, 33. Called them hypocrites, Luke eleven forty four. He called them graves which appear not, meaning they're like unmarked graves, Luke eleven forty four. Jesus reserved the harshest judgment for the most religious of people. Why? Because these individuals knew the most truth and knew better rejected it all. They're hypocrites. You have the Pharisees here in this multitude. And then you see this, you had a band of men. In John 18, verse 3, Judas then having received a band of men. Now this band of men here would have been the technical word for the Roman cohort at the time. It would have been a garrison band, if you will. You can find the Roman band or, or bands like that in other portions of Scripture, uh, uh, notating a, a certain amount of Roman soldiers. You can see it in Matthew 27, 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus in a common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. In Mark 15, 16, the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole band. And again, you can see over in Acts chapter 10, verse number 1, we'll find one Cornelius who was part of the Italian band, the Italian cohort, the Italian garrison. He was part of that. Now, this band of men, in this moment, these soldiers, would have probably been anywhere from four to 600 Roman soldiers at this moment. But understand something. The Roman soldiers were not ignorant of Jesus. They knew who he was. They knew who Jesus was and how he had preached them as well. No doubt they'd heard from their own centurion, the man who was the leader of these men, about who Jesus was. Remember the centurion's servant whom Jesus healed with but a word? Remember that? 
No doubt he went back and told his men of what Jesus had done. Surely these Roman soldiers knew who Jesus of Nazareth was. Even King Herod at the time knew who Jesus was. The Bible says in Luke 23, 8, that Herod was desirous to see him of a long season. Why? Because he had heard many things of him and hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. <laughs> they knew who he was, but listen, they came anyway. They came to arrest him anyway. Why? They were blind. They were blind who Jesus was. But there's one that was the blindest of them all. We know it to be Judas. The man who saw for three years Jesus heal person after person, help person after person. Who heard the teaching from very own lips himself. Heard the doctrine of the Lord. Heard the sermon on the mount. Who heard the seven I am sayings that was recorded for us in the book of John. He heard all of these things. That he is the door. That he's the bread of life. That Jesus is the true vine, the good shepherd, the way, the truth, the life. That Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He's the light of the world. Look, he knew all of this, heard all of this, was even part himself, had his hand in many miracles. Remember the feeding of the 5,000. What did Jesus do? Told disciples to make the people sit down in, 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 different, in different sections of people. He would give them out bread and fish. Each disciple was to do that. So every time they reached into their, their picnic basket to give some bread and fish, what did they find? More bread and fish. He was part of the miracle himself. Even Judas himself had his hand in casting out demons. And yet here in this moment in our text, he himself is possessed with the devil himself. It's amazing to think that this man saw so much and was part of so much, yet blind to it all. Why? He rejected it. Over and over he rejected the Lord time and time and time and time again, until finally he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver, which would have been probably $3,000 in today's dollars, all right? 30 pieces of silver. Price of a slave, sold him out. It was all about money. It's amazing to me to, to think of that one time when, when Mary anointed Jesus' body for burying, and she anointed his body with, a, with an ointment called spikenard, and the Bible says very costly. But what did Judas do in that moment? Instead of seeing the value of what Mary was doing to Jesus as she is preparing him for death, she knew what was about to happen. Instead of seeing that value in that, what did he see the value in? The ointment. Immediately he said, why is this waste made? That ointment could have been sold for 300 pence and given to the poor. He knew the value of that ointment more than the value of what this woman was doing. Just an instant. Why? He was always focused on money. Always. Always focused on money. It led him to betray the Lord Jesus. Himself with a kiss. But this multitude you see here, these individuals, listen, they were blind. They were blind. But before we move on here, real quick, I want you to understand how they were blind. They were blind. They were blind this way. Because they wanted to be. They were willingly blind. I want to try to show you what I'm talking about. All right. They were blind. All right. Willingly. So we're doing this. What miracles? What? I don't see them. What are you talking about? What miracles are you talking about? <laughs> what scripture? Are we talking about in Isaiah 35 where it says, This is how you know your God shall come. All these miracles he'll do, healing of the blind, healing of the, the deaf shall sing, all, the, all those things in Isaiah 35. What scripture are you talking about? What miracles? I don't see them. <laughs> Willingly, covering their eyes, no doubt. To what Jesus has done and preached. Willingly. 
The Bible says in 2 Peter 3, verse 3 through 5, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust, saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of. Willingly, meaning their intentional or their desire, on purpose, willingly. Ignorant, meaning to be without, without knowledge or willing to be hidden. They, they, on purpose, hid themselves from this. On purpose, blinded themselves from this. And though truth was staring them in the face and truth was preached them time and time again, they didn't want it. Rather, they'd rather stay dumb and blind. It's amazing to think that people be willing to stay in their sin, willing to stay in their debauchery, willing to stay in their depravity, willing, wanting to, want it to stay there. But these men, this multitude wanted that. And I'm reminded today that people are still people and there's people still want that today. Willingly turn a blind eye to truth and want their own lust, want their own way. If you don't believe me, read Romans chapter 1 and it's like a news article from today's, today's story. So God gave them up to their own lust. But understand this event, at the healing of Malchus's ear, we see, you see this, the betrayal of, of Judas the brass response of Peter. We see the, the blind multitude here. They've seen so much, but still willingly will not accept it. Willingly look the other way. But I don't want to leave you with just that. But rather, I want to leave you with something that's highly, highly encouraging to me from this portion of Scripture. And don't miss it, please. Don't miss it. Look at verse, verse 51 again. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer you thus far. And he touched his ear. And healed him. Then Jesus said unto the chief priests and captains of the temple, and the elders which were come to him, Be ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves. When I was daily with you in a temple, you stretched forth no hands against me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. So the last thing I see here is this, a blatant second chance that Jesus gives the multitude. It's obvious to me. Right in the midst of this confusion, Right in the midst of this chaos and willing blindness of these individuals, Jesus does something absolutely amazing. He stops Peter's hand from doing any further damage, and he stoops down to pick up the severed ear of Malchus and places it back on his bloody head and heals him. It's absolutely amazing. It shows his goodness, it shows his compassion, it shows his mercy, it shows his grace, his grace to these individuals, even those who do not deserve it. I'm thankful for the grace and mercy of God because I'm a very undeserving of it all. Amen. I'm thankful for that. And we get a glimpse of that here yet again. But this healing, listen, it shows more than just that. It shows more than just His grace and compassion and mercy and love. It shows so much more than that. You may be thinking, well, what do you mean? What do you mean, preacher? What is He showing? Listen, with this miracle, with this compassionate touch on Malchus' ear, Jesus once again proves who He is. That He's God. That He's the Christ. That He is the Messiah. That He is the Creator, because only the Creator can help His creation. He is God. He's proving yet again He is the Almighty. 
And, and in doing this, he once again was proving who he was, which in turn gave them another opportunity to see who he was, which gave them an opportunity to respond to the truth they knew and have already seen before. He was proving once again who he was. And in this moment, this is what should have happened. They should have fell on their faces and asked for the forgiveness and mercy of God Almighty. That's what they should have done right then and right there. And besides, they were already halfway there. And in John chapter 18, verse 3 through 6, listen to these verses. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, come thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said unto him, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with him. As soon then as he said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. They're already halfway there. I don't know about you. Listen, if, if, if with but a phrase, with but a title, the I am, when Jesus would say that and I fell flat on my back, uh, not voluntarily, I'm crawling out of there, people. All right? I ain't getting back up. But these 600 band of Roman soldiers, plus the captains of the temple, plus the chief priests, plus the Pharisees, I don't know how many were there. Thousand people? I don't know. But a bunch were there. All of them fell backwards at the very I am statement of Jesus. Yet in their depravity, in their dark hearts, they get back up to take him into custody. I believe it's because, they're, of course, they're under the influence. We know this, under the influence of darkness. Verse 53 talks about that as Jesus said it. This is your hour, the power, and the power of darkness. This was their hour. They were come against the Lord Jesus Christ in this moment. They were blind to what He was doing. But I believe in this miracle proves He's just blatant yet again to the graciousness and, and compassion and mercy to them, but they rejected it yet again. But again, this is all part of God's plan all along. That scripture must be fulfilled. In Matthew 26, 56, but all this was done. That the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. So what was taking place this moment, the betrayal, the arrest, and of course the beating, the crucifixion of Christ, it had to happen to Fulfill the scriptures, to complete the scriptures. He went through all of this, suffered all of this, to complete salvation for us all. So yes, in this moment, to the healing of the ear of Malchus, in this very moment, we do see the good grace of God yet again in the face of Jesus as he heals this man. And I believe God's mercy was evident, proving who he was again. As you look at Malchus and the healing of his ear. I've often thought, if I've read this and thought of Malchus, I've often thought, did Malchus later on, man, did he, did he ever get saved? I hope he did. I mean, did you, did he, you think he ever thought that when his ear itched, and he reached up to scratch it, you, ever, you think he ever thought of, you know, that was missing for a brief moment in my life. <laughs> but the man Jesus touched it. Never a man spake like this man. Never a man did these mighty miracles before. Never before. I'm, 
There's got to be something more to him. <laughs> you know, I hope Malchus got saved. Malchus being a servant of the, of the chief priest, no doubt he was around the temple, no doubt he was around truth. I sure hope he got saved. But Griffith doesn't, doesn't tell us. We don't know. But I do know this, he had an encounter that many others did never had with an encounter with the Lord like this. He had such a light given to him that right in front of him, before his very eyes, with the very touch of God, his ear was healed. And I sure hope he put his faith and trust in the Lord. But I wonder this morning, Malchus is not here, but, but you are. And I wonder if this morning, are you, are you saved? I sure hope you are. Malchus, no doubt, learned a lot of truth. He was presented with it right, right before his very eyes. He was presented with truth. And I wonder this morning, are you saved? Have you responded to the truth? The truth that, listen, we're all sinners. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. Come short of the glory of God. The truth that you cannot save yourself. The Bible says in Romans 3.10, For there is none righteous, no, not one. The truth that Jesus loves you. In Romans 5.8, But God commended His love toward us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how we know God loves us, because He sent His Son to die for you and me. The truth of His love for you. And the truth that if we call upon Him, He will save us in Romans 10, 9 through 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Have you responded to the truth of the gospel of death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for you? Have you responded to that? I sure hope Malchus did, man. I sure hope he did. My goodness, the things he saw was part of and got to experience. I hope he responded to that truth. But again, he's not here, but you are. Have you ever responded to that truth? If you haven't, I believe God's given you another chance. Just as I believe he was giving these guys another one to respond. To call upon his name. And be saved. Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a promise from the word of God. From God himself. Have you ever done that? So my question as we close is this. Are you saved this morning? I hope you are. But if you're not, please. Today will you call upon Christ to save you? Maybe you need some more clarification. I would love to share the Bible more with you. And show you for sure how you know your, your home is heaven when you pass from this life to the next. I want to help you. May we learn these lessons from these miracles. May these miracles.